which was the first real sound that had ever been transmitted to a human ear by electricity. everyone and welcome to episode 8 of the Music Dissectors, recorded September 27th, 2017. I'm your host David Holloway and my co-host as always is Matthew J.C. Powell. How are you? I'm not bad. How are you, David? Good. Great to be back. We've had a little bit of a longer break just with, you know, our lives and organising guests, but it's, yeah, I'm pretty damn pleased to be back. Right. I'm, pl- I'm pleased to be back and I'm pleased that you're back. <laughs> That's that's right. I did, you know, and I'm I, sure all of our many, many loyal listeners are also glad that we're both back. Oh, look, many, 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 I would argue. or you know, There's at least two that have left reviews on iTunes, so thank you to wow. them. <laughs> awesome people. They are awesome people. Now, I, I do want to do a shout-out to our, our Facebook page. We, we've got, we do get a lot of good um, private feedback there and, and likes of posts, and, and just, yeah, so very much appreciate that. Uh, and also, speaking of appreciation, big thanks to Ken Lee last episode, talking about U2. Um, I assume, Matthew, you've gone on a U2 binge after that episode? No, I have not. No, I thought not. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's move no. on. I actually, no, that did not happen. One last quick U2 thing. They released a new single in the last three weeks and um, there was a lot of hype around it. And I'm, I'm going to be the first to say, as a U2 fan, it just left me totally cold. It's like, yeah... Not much to it. Wasn't yeah, impressed. look, I, 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 I think that it'll grow on people. The chorus is great. It's just the verse that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, enough you two. Let's get on to some uh, much more stylish and substantial music. Um, so this week, uh, it's been a, a huge pleasure to interview Gian. So... Uh, without going too much fanboy on Gyan, I've been a fan of Gyan's uh, since her first album. She's produced a whole range of wonderful material since. Um, so mm. I, was thr- I was thrilled when I invited Gyan to to come on the podcast that she agreed, uh, and she chose um, a r- really interesting album, um, as you'll hear in the interview, that um, neither you or I had listened to any of their material. No, I, I was completely unfamiliar uh, with this artist prior to this podcast, so uh, or pr- prior to, to sort of preparing for this, yeah. so this was, um, yeah, a uh, bit of bit of an intro for me. So yeah, Nick, I mean Nick Drake's the artist. If you if you don't know Nick Drake yourself, don't let that put you off. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. So yeah, a, a huge um, thank you to Gian. But um, yeah, have a listen and um, enjoy, and we'll talk after the show.
Don't you have a word to show what may be done? Have you never heard a way to find the sun? So, hi, Guillaume. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. Good to be here, David. One of the reasons I love doing this podcast, and I think Matthew will agree with me, is that um, we love some of the albums that people choose because they might be things that we've either not listened to or haven't listened to for a long time. And and, uh, the one that you've chosen is very much in the category of I've never listened to it. Um, So do you want to just give us a brief overview um, of the album you've chosen and then I'd love to just talk a little bit about you as well. Well, um I guess I, f- I felt like such a it was such an awesomely large request to choose an album for a start um, because I have such an eclectic, diverse range of loves. So um, I just chose this compilation that uh, has always travelled with me um, of Nick Drake's because you know he died so young, so there was only three albums uh, in existence and. Um, his uh, producer, Joe Boyd, had put this compilation together, I think, in the early 90s. So I was introduced to him way before that. And um, it, it's they're like uh, certain albums are just uh, good friends that sort of keep you company through different chapters of your life. And I've, when you asked me to select an album, I was kind of stumped because I kind of went from oh, you know, oh, do, I, do I do other part or do I do Joni Mitchell? Or, and then I, I always come back to Nick Drake for some, um, it's kind of like uh, he has so many components that touch my heart and his um, way of combining sounds and his unique tuning with the guitar, of course, pulled upon... Mm. Um, very interesting um, clusters, for want of a better word, in a, in a sort of a classical merge with the ensembles that were recorded. So um, he's sort of like a, a, a modern-day Keats that played the guitar phenomenally well. So uh, there's just so many things about Nick Drake that just don't ever leave me. So I guess it's... He's he's quite a mountain for me to talk about in a <laughs> short time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm glad I brought something to your attention, David, that you weren't very familiar with. Um, it, I feel a little bit wrong put, pulling um, a compilation album together. I guess it's because Way to Blue was something that did travel with me because I had a very limited space. This is before Spotify and, <laughs> and um, I, I used to travel with CDs and um, – I did a lot of time in the States and in England, so I had my little fold-out, you know, flip case of CDs. Oh, I remember and, those, yes. Yeah, and Nick was on the, on the top of the ten, so, um, I, yeah. So he's, he's, he's one of your Desert Island discs, basically. That's what he is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think you've, you've touched on a few interesting points there in, in terms of sort of his his lyrical structures, as you say, sort of a modern-day Keats. You know, he doesn't sort of the, – the, the songs in a lyrical sense, they're not like, you know, pop songs. They don't have, in most cases, a sort of a, a distinct chorus 
or you know middle eights and these kinds of things that you you expect in standard songs, uh, so that they're they're much more like poet put to music. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the open, <clears throat> open tuning in the guitars, which gives him a, a different kind of harmonic uh, grammar um, to, mm. to 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 the songs, which I I, I think these are sort of um, in, interesting and key points. Uh, I, I'm interested to know sort of how that sort of um, aspect, it, both both in terms of the, the lyrical and the harmonic sort of aspects of, of the Nick Drake songs, how that has influenced your own songwriting. Hmm. Or, or well, not, not I, so much influenced, but, but, but at, at least um, touched into. Or Well, uh, you know, I, I'm... I'm a, Definitely don't play the guitar with any <laughs> form of adeptness that he does. Um, I was very shy as a child and would always uh, write as, as a form of uh, expression because I found people to be very, um, oh, I, I just like this. Yeah, so um, I found that I could lean into him in that poetic sense and because of his lack of um, structure it is more classical and I I guess I like the fact that he he doesn't quite have that pop rule book which I mm. think I was kind of you know forced to walk that line with the producers I worked with early on and then I threw the rule book out when I when I had, when I found myself holding the reins again, so I, I, um, I really take my hat off to the fact that he was so bold uh, so early on. I mean, yeah. I think reason why he um, didn't connect live because there's no footage of him at all mm. Um, mm. was because you know he's tuning his guitar. <laughs> it's almost like a uh, you know, when, when when I went to see Ravi Shankar at the Opera House, it took two hours for him to tune, <laughs> by which stage a lot of people had left, left, the, um, had left the building. Um, and then the show began. But, um, be, you know, he had so long between songs and he sang so quietly that he couldn't uh, get the respect in those cafe and, and pubs that he played in early on and so therefore just threw the towel in as far as live goes. So, yeah. you know, bearing all that in mind, it, it, it just wasn't uh, – he probably would have been more respected in a classical world rather than the, the, the folk rock that existed mm. that Bob Dylan and, and um, well, you know, his, his peer John Martin was – more robust in a sort of a Scottish bulldog way where, you know, he could sort of push through, whereas I think Nick was far more uh, kind of like a Chopin really, sort of far more sensitive and and um, made it all the more difficult for him to be in the world. Mm, mm. So that's a very long-winded way of saying how did he influence me. Oh, I've... Um, I think you're just trying to find kindred spirits and, yeah. uh, you know, Shelley and um, Keats and the, the certain poets that I gravitate to and I think Nick fits the bill as a musician slash poet for me a great deal. Right. And you, you might, 
I think that's a terrific yeah. answer. And, and you made a great point there, Gian, about when you took the range yourself with your own um, career. And, and one of the things that stood out to me, having not listened to Nick Drake, but having listened to your music over many years, is that I, I fully understood once I listened to Nick Drake why you liked him, because there's certainly a, a degree of his influence in your latter work. Would, would that be a fair point? Yeah, isn't it funny how you sort of come full circle because you start off with a little four track and you're, you're sort of, you know, just kind of exploring all the, the palette that's available to you or, and then, you know, you resonate with someone who says, let me make you a record and then you go down this path and and there's a lot of, you know, push and pull with with producers, of course, and... Um, through that sort of myriad of hurdles and challenges and and exploration, um, and I'll just fast forward three three decades, and then you can come forward and go, hang on, this feels so much uh, closer to home now. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a you sort of have to kind of go through. Well, I did anyway. I felt like I, I went through many 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 myriads of things to sort of come back closer to home and some of the you know you could say failure brings you closer to the truth I think somebody said that to me once and and I, I kind of felt like um I really did feel that it's like if some of those very commercial things have taken off for me especially the record in America that I made I don't know <laughs> whether I would have come so close to home with some of the, the later works that I've done yeah, oh, it's fun. Mm. Well, I'm 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 interested on on, on that point because um, uh, last night uh, I was I was listening to a couple of clips actually I I, I listened to the uh, the the original video oh, I, I watched the original video of, of your big hit uh, Wait um, from what, 1989 I think that was very good. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and I and I also uh, saw a more recent performance on America, uh, sorry, on Australian breakfast TV show of just you with an acoustic guitar, um, you know, a, a much more spare arrangement of it, and it it felt like a totally different song. Yes. Um, so you know, when when you say that sort of you'd, you'd you'd come full circle and come sort of in in taking the reins in in, in the latter part of your career. And finding more of a, um, a sympathy with uh, with Nick Drake's style of things, I I, I I can see what you mean by that. In comparing that that original very lush, very big production, uh, of very eighties, <laughs> big very hair, 80s with, with the big power hair <laughs> and the fan, <laughs> the clip and a helicopter and a sax solo. <laughs> A it sax was solo. <laughs> it was so large. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it a funny thing? And you, of course, you know that there is a, a youthfulness to that. Of and and you have a whole lot of. Uh, oh, it's just um, when you can. It's almost like being a Zen, a Zen master painter or something. You know, where, where you get that ink stroke with very little effort and that's what you've been trying to do for all these years is to to stop with the effort and to 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 get the same mark making but with with just a a, a, a sort of a twist of the wrist rather than 
uh, so much, um, you know, hitting money notes and stuff. So, yeah, I guess I, I've, I've, I never really thought of myself as a singer ever. I just was very interested in words and being more of a, um, a, a poet. So um, to be able to come and present that song in more of its original form, I, I sort of, um, I know uh, I've let a few people down on that front, but you, you pick up some and you lose some on the way. Every time you sort of take a gamble and change your um, style, you lose people and you gain people. So it's, it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, you've, you've mentioned your own sort of 30-year career gown. Do you remember actually when you first heard Nick Drake? Can you, can you actually recall the time? And, yes. Yeah, so tell us about that. Yes. I, I, I've still got this friend. He's very dear to me. We were sort of – we weren't boyfriend and girlfriend. We are kind of like brother and sister in Sydney in the early – or very early 80s. And I remember we used to go for these walks and he was sort of punk – and he, um, this time he was wearing a tail. I'll just really remember that, like a furry long tail. <laughs> and, you know, you know, Sydney, early 80s, anything goes. And we were walking and he used to always um, give me one of his headphones, you know, so you were sharing it in a Walkman. And he gave me one of his headphones said, you've got to listen to this. And um, I, I was just knocked out. I was knocked out. And um, and he also the same the same guy uh, he's now head of animation a, a department in Brisbane. He also introduced me to John Martin, and I um, I felt uh, kind of um, altered from that day on, really. And it's, it's it is like sort of meeting some part of yourself, isn't it, when you resonate with someone so strongly? Mm. So um, and then. Uh, I just, and, and you know, um, I don't know if you know John Martin's work, do you? Not well. On, only very vaguely. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Well, okay. Oh, well, there's a, a classic song from John Martin. Uh, they were both born the same year, funny enough, and, um, and, and John Martin being Scottish. But he, he also is an incredible guitarist uh, and lyricist, and he wrote this song that was the title track of, one of his very best albums called Solid Air. And um, it was about Nick Drake and how he used to view him as somebody that lived on solid air. And that's uh, when you hear that song and you know that story, it sort of sums up Nick Drake's character so beautifully. Yeah, so I really have a very strong memory of walking through uh, the, the park opposite um, Oxford Street in, in um, uh, Paddington area and... Uh, just yeah, I, it, it's quite it's quite a profound moment. I, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, um, I, you know, it's it's like remembering where you were when John Lennon died, or I remember the first time a guy in England, an engineer, put the headphones on me for Jeff Buckley's uh, Grace album, and I think mm. that had a profound effect. And and a girlfriend in England that put the headphones on me with other part, and there's just these monumental shifts in your fabric isn't it when when you hear someone that's just so and then and that goes in your you know your desert discs of Absolutely. course yeah so it just gets it's my bag grows heavy <laughs> <laughs> 
he he does seem to have have had quite a profound effect on on you and on other musicians. I mean, given given his um, very very limited uh, success in terms of album sales during his lifetime, you know, I I think his the the three albums that he released uh, during his life sold a total of like twenty thousand copies between Isn't the three of them. Isn't that extraordinary? And and, and uh, yet- now he's so he's so popular. It's just so bizarre. He, it's like one of those uh, classical dudes, you know, that couldn't pay for their own funeral, but later later became huge successes. You know, like even Van Gogh, yeah. I, they they couldn't afford to eat. But I mean, not that Nick did come from a privileged background. He wasn't he wasn't starving, but no. he. I don't. I do think he. Um, was maybe born kind of before his time or maybe just, I don't, I don't, I, I can sort of see things didn't add up and also he, you know, is known to have been a depressive character and yeah. that that's very, um, um, that certainly comes out in the music. It, it does. I mean, I, I look, I'm a huge fan of Leonard Cohen too, so I guess I am very attractive to the <laughs> <laughs> to, 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 the, to the bleak. <laughs> you see, I just find Leonard hilarious. So, but, you know, I guess, um, yeah, isn't that strange? Uh, yes, I, I am more. It is easier to write a sad song than a happy one. That's true. But um, um, when I started working with Michael Lernig, I'll never forget he said to me, see, people see him as very bleak and um, morbid as well. But uh, he... Yes, he can be, can't he? But he said to me, um, Gian, you know, you really do belong in the classical world. This this um, commercial pop scene just isn't for you. And and the more I walk down that road with him, the more I sort of, I can see um, maybe why Nick Drake was uh, <laughs> uh, frustrated, uh, angry, um, it's very interesting to sort of see his interviews, uh, yeah. well, see the documentaries made around him and, and his frustration with not being able to um, get through to the generation that he was trying to get through to. But, I mean, it, he would just be so happy now, wouldn't he, to have seen how much of he's influenced uh, so many musicians. Which yeah. you'd, you'd hope so, you it raises a really good point there, Gian, too, about what he would think of his success now. I mean, um, it's just over 40 years since um, he died. And um, one of the things, uh, one reviewer wrote that I found really interesting was that the actual focus on the mental health challenges that Nick had himself has actually done his musical legacy a disservice. I mean, do you, would you tend to agree with that as far as the focus on, well, he only released three albums. He, he was a depressive person. He did uh, die young, whether it be by suicide or accidental overdose, that the focus is too much on that rather than the quality of what he actually did produce. Yeah, who, who was saying uh, that? It was a reviewer. I, I'd have to look it up. But it was someone um, reviewing a book on Nick Drake around the 40th anniversary of his death. 
Right, that 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 his mm. mental health was overshadowing his actual talent. Well, yeah, as far as the perception mm. of his work since his death, why, why, that the, the yeah. actual focus on that has has done his legacy a disservice in that it stands very effectively on its own as a great body of work, uh, and the fact that the yeah. fact mm. that he did die early really doesn't have a big impact on that. Yeah, oh, I'm not quite sure what to say about that <laughs> well, because that's just one one person's opinion, but I'd. I'd yeah, I mean, I, 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 I find it interesting just just sort of listening through the, the the compilation album. I mean, "Black Eyed Dog," which is clearly a song about depression, mm. yes, uh, is actually quite an upbeat song. Yes, uh, like, of the of the songs on the on the uh, the uh, way to blue, or as it's now called, a treasury uh, compilation. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few there that are very very. Uh, depressing to listen to. Uh, Fruit Tree, for instance, drags me down. Um, but Black Eyed Dog, which I got to say, I, I saw that coming up in the playlist. I thought, oh, this is going to be hard. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but it's not. <laughs> no, it's a ripper. So good, it's so good, and pink, pink mer is so beautiful. Um, I, I, yeah, I have a, a, the, I, the, I, the, the one I like is, is River Man. I, I like the oh the, my god, uh, the five, that is sublime. Five, four time. It's sublime, it's little, isn't it? A little bit jazzy, and, and you know? it's just so beautiful. And to think that, um, Robert Kirby, who, who was his uh, buddy in Cambridge, where uh, you know, he was signed to Island Records uh, before he finished his. Uh, education and he bailed on the final year and they had set up Joe Boyd had set up this uh, string arranger for him and then he just sort of went well no I want Robert Kirby and some friends of mine and Robert Kirby hadn't done anything previously so he had to sort of prove himself to be um, of value and and he did just that but Robert Kirby had the had the uh Oh, how, how, what's the word I'm looking for? The decency or the, you know, he, he just said, I don't think I can do the strings for Riverman. And uh, they gave it over to this other guy. Gonna tell him all I can about the plan. If he tells me all he knows. And then to go and, I don't know if you're familiar with Beck. Oh, yes. Beck's work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I worked very closely uh, with his father, David Campbell, who's an amazing string arranger, when I did my album in America. And um, 
Beck was so influenced by Riverman that he got his father and he wrote this song that, you know, you could almost put them up beside each other and they'd overlay each other um, perfectly because he was just so impressed. All the kind of harmonics and everything are mm-hmm. almost so parallel. It's um, slightly disturbing. But um, <laughs> Beck's quite a sort of a, um, a, a mimic in, in, a, in a lot of ways. He's sort of a chameleon, isn't he? Is. he? You can sort of hear what yes. sort of hear yes. what he's listening to now. And um, I think Riverman just is just knockout. It's just those close harmonics of, of mm-hmm. when those strings come in. It's just the most overwhelmingly huge um, what it does. And, and yet it's such a small kind of band of players. I mean, when you listen to something like a Frank Sinatra record and you've got like a hundred violins all doing unison, but then you listen to the Riverman and it sounds so big, but it's, I think I read it was something like only maybe 10, 10 strings and it's really? so effective. It's so strong, isn't it? It's just such a strong uh, colour. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, That's but I'm just so I'm so in love with that sort of mixture of folk, classical, small ensemble. I, I just think it's just really, um, yeah, it really works for me. <laughs> Obviously. Absolutely. God, as yeah. it should be. I remember when I when I did my first um, uh, record launch in Sydney, I I had you know simulated strings because um, that that's what synthesizers were pretty big in the eighties. Uh, it was they? the eighties, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then I ran. I, I I remember going up an elevator in Bondi Junction because I lived in Bondi, and there was this um, incredibly fantastic string quartet just sort of in their tuxedos playing at the top of the lift and they were all Chinese and I went over to them and I said oh um would you like to join me for my record launch around the country and and they just they fled Tiananmen Square had happened and and they were all living in like West Sydney in one room and and they got on a train and they were you know they 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 opened my show with me on on the simulated strings became real and so I got to sort of um do my dream with this phenomenal uh Chinese string quartet it was it was really quite something oh, I don't have any, any photos or anything that you, you just I could be just we believe you, you. <laughs> I, I I trust you completely that sounds yeah. amazing that sounds wonderful it was very, it was very different. And um, when they played their own traditional music, it was even better because you know that they don't have the same sort of um, musical scale right. as as Western. Yeah. And so it was, it's, it's so much more interesting to hear them go off on their own. Yeah. Sorry, I, I digress. No, well, not at all. I mean, I think you've made it clear <laughs> that you like Riverman. So, I mean, this is probably where we do usually ask a little <laughs> bit to go through uh, a couple of songs that you're particularly passionate about. But it is probably hard with a compilation album in that arguably you've got some of the best of the best on there anyway. But, you know, if you wanted to talk about, besides Riverman, another two or three that really still um, particularly get your attention now. I love Time of No Reply because it's um, when when um, it's just a turn of phrase of when uh, when I haven't heard from someone or I was waiting for so long for a reply from a record company. I used to just walk around and sing that song, <laughs> and um, 
Yeah. Oh, um, they, they just, they've sort of almost become one. I, I'm not such a big fan of some of the hyperactive things of like poor boy. Some of the production feels a little bit naive in some of the songs where, you know, the piano player just gets a little bit hyperactive or the sax player, but they're sort of forgiven because sort of innocent days, wasn't it? But I, because that last album where he kind of gave up, um, mm. what, what the last album was Pink Moon, I think, yeah. and he literally just sort of went into the, the label, I think, and just threw the threw the two-inch reel at them and said, this is it. And I think Joe Boyd had said that it was it was even impossible. He was so depressed it was impossible for him to actually play and sing at the same time. He had to sort of extract mm. the guitar track and then overlay the voice and the vulnerability in his voice. But actually I, I really like the songs as well where there's no embellishments and it, it is very raw. I saw it written and I saw it say Pink Moon is on its way None of you stand so tall Pink Moon and I get you Yeah, I, I do, really do love the raw, the rawness of just himself and his guitar. And so, have you ever actually covered any of them yourself, Gian, in your own work? Do you know? I think I, I was thinking about it today, and because we we're going to have this chat, and um, I cannot sing his songs. Um, I can't do them justice at all. And and if I try, I just I don't know. There's something so uniquely his that his phrasing and his breathing between the guitar, because he's doing such in, incredibly intricate uh, tunings and uh, plucking, his style is so unique. It's, it's almost aligned to trying to sing a Jimi Hendrix song, I mean, which I have tried to do, but, which is sort of like, you know what, I think you should just leave them alone. <laughs> Well, it, 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 it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because uh, when when um, David told me that we were looking at um, Way to Blue, um, now the the, uh, the the compilation that uh, you've got that's that's called Way to Blue, I believe is now called A Treasury. Um, we looked at or what I originally listened to, a Nick Drake tribute album called Way to Blue with a, a bunch of other performers doing Nick Drake songs. And by about the third or fourth track on that, I was really getting quite fed up with it. Um, and I thought, this, this is just, oh, I really, I'm not sure I want to do this podcast. <laughs> um, but I, th I thought, well, I'll, I'll, look, I'll, I'll listen to the, the Nick Drake originals and see if, if, if I can compare them to these covers. Isn't it, isn't and it they're, awful? they're vastly better. <laughs> the but originals are. It? It's just, it's just. So disturbing. I just think that's just so disturbing. I mean, there's even a DVD. There's a there was a light. There was a touring show. I mean, I actually 
um, I was doing a record launch for Super Fragilistically, which was, uh, I don't know what year that was for me, 2010, I think. And um, a promoter who was promoting that show came down and I knew that she was part of that uh, compilation that they were casting. And I was, I was ever so hopeful. I actually was really hoping that I'd have something to do with that because I thought, mm. oh, my God, that, that would just be fantastic. And then, you know, I didn't get a call, but when I actually – because I saw that show, um, not live but on a, on a, on a, on a, a DVD sort of thing, it was so <laughs> – it was so disturbing. I, I, I really <laughs> didn't like it. I just didn't like it at all. And, but the th- funny thing is Danny Thompson, who was um, Nick's bass player, has uh, worked at our studio in Byron here when um, he was touring with Eric Bibb. And wow. he came in and they were um, putting some stuff together for the Blues Festival here. And I, I just have loved Danny Thompson. Danny Thompson also was John Martin's bass player and he and Joe Boyd, who was Nick Drake's mm. producer, um, put that put that tribute show together, and I'm really not sure how they felt about it, but it was just really sad. <laughs> I just don't think anyone can quite pull it no. off. Um, yeah, the, the, and, there's and, a connection between the artist and the song there that I I, I think uh, it it makes it very hard. When a song is is that personal and that individual, it it does make it very very hard. Yeah, yeah, and and I just think those people were too robust. They were trying to make it too much of a sort of a stadium rock thing. I mean, he is so bedroom, <laughs> he's yeah, so yeah, introvert yeah. that you know it was kind of like. Um, guys, this should be more of a sort of a peep show than here we are with the lights and the, I don't know. I, I, I was really, really shocked by that. And, um, uh, oh, that's sad that you went there first. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really glad we're talking. <laughs> well, th- th- thankfully, thankfully, uh, we're, we're, we're not talking about the tribute album. <laughs> Um, we're, we're, actually, we're actually talking about the uh, about the real deal. Songs. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Yep. I mean, it, look, I I used to work that, in that this, was that was hard. That was hard. I, I worked in this um, cafe, a really large vegetarian restaurant, for a year or something in in uh, London when I was. Um, trying to make a go of it there mm-hmm. and uh, the guy that owned the restaurant, you know, we'd all have turns putting CDs in the slot <laughs> to put Nick on and, and he used to come in and he'd go, oh, that depressing <laughs> funeral music. Get it off. And he'd put Kenny G on. Oh, and so we sort of put Kenny, oh, <laughs> we'd put Kenny G in the freezer so he'd be sort of like, what happened to my Kenny G CD? <laughs> Anyway, there's just funny moments where people um, love him or loathe him. I'd like to proclaim, and, and I like that. I like that too. That if you, people either love him or That's hate right. him. That's right. I just like to proclaim that this podcast will never discuss Kenny G. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I fully endorse that. <laughs> if if, yeah. if, any, if, any, if anybody comes on and says, you know, the thing that really 
uh, influenced me in my life and has really changed my life and made me the person that I am today is Kenny G. I think we're going to say, well, you're wrong. That's right. <laughs> you, need, you need to change your life. It's just, it's just sign off really quick. That's right. Sorry, got to go. Um. <laughs> yeah, fuck. I mean, how can we put Nick and Kenny G in the well, same sentence? Right. I just did. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> impressive. I don't know. Yeah. I, can't, I can't win a prize. <laughs> yeah, look, Nick, Nick, Nick Drake can be very depressing. Uh, Kenny, Kenny G makes me want to gouge my ears out, frankly. That's right. That's uh, right. So, you know, there, there are limits. Yeah. There are limits. Just get a perspective. That's right. Just <laughs> get a perspective. You know, you're still with us. That's good. Yeah, and so Guillaume, what's what's coming up for you in in the near future? I mean, obviously, you, I, I assume you're never stopping creating and um, and uh, you know performing your own music. Have you got a busy year or two ahead, as far as you know, or just taking it day by day? Um, I'm. Oh, what am I doing? I seem to do a lot of um, charity sort of <laughs> calls, as you do around the Byron region. Uh, the piano needs reserved, so we we just did a Beatles night, and uh, and then next Saturday is a, a friend's book launch, so you know I'm do, doing the uh, entertainment for that. Um, I have, kind, I'm trying to do something I've never done before, which is always me, and um, and that's uh, I've kind of penned a coming of age book, but it's sort of I don't want it to be a book. I want it to be something different. So I sort of want it to be kind of like a uh, a visual film slash narration slash musical thing. Okay. I'm not, you know, I haven't quite put my finger on it, but I'm I'm exploring it. But it's it's sort of do it do it, yeah. do it as an iPhone app. <laughs> yeah, how do you do that? <laughs> you just play a little I, bit at I, a I time. I don't know. <laughs> just have a little bit played and then yeah okay yep so like a talking book that has pictures yeah so some kind of interactive augmented reality experience and as you travel through you the, the music plays and you see the things and do you know that story by jack flanders no okay it's a radio player it's american and it's very bizarre and out there and They've got all the sounds. It's like Morocco or wherever he's coming from. I mean, it's totally bent sort of humour, but, um, you know, as I kind of like that sort of, you know, folly with the, oh, yeah. with the story. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, yeah. like coconut shells. Yeah. Bit of, <laughs> Sounds good nice. sound design. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you are a bit of an innovative guy. I was probably, as a final question, I was interested on your – thoughts on your experience of crowdfunding your your latest album so how, how did how did that go for you i mean the album itself is stupendous I, I assume you're very happy with the outcome of the actual recording but how did you find find the overall process of of doing that and being able to maintain control over the process well you do maintain control once you do a crowdfunder i i swore i would never do that uh, crowdfunding thing but i uh, I, I think that's the way that that's what artists actually have to do. You sort of have to get paid by your fan base before you can afford mm. to make your uh, product. But, um, yeah, no, it's it's pretty 
it's like running for president in 30 days. It's really <laughs> full on. It's so full on. Um, uh, I, I think you can make it as um, creative as you want, which is a great thing. Uh, the pros to it are that you get really close to uh, – I hate the word fan, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah. People that – like you, people that like your music. So uh, you really sort of build this boat together. So you all get on board and, and, and you're um, talking and communicating and, and uh, fielding questions and things as you build the record up. And I, I quite like that. I, I like that sort of team effort thing. It's pretty grueling with the Kickstarter side of things, like an eBay thing where it goes off and you've got to get it across yeah, the yeah. line. <clears throat> Five minutes to midnight, you go. And if anyone's to sort of pull back, then, you know, it's pretty hairy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, um, I, I did an interview recently for an, a Sydney paper called Neighbourhood where I they got me to interview Ricky Lee Jones and she did a crowdfunder for her last one. And I, I just thought, wow, it really, um, through music being so free now, it, it made me really kind of sad to see someone as celebrated as Ricky Lee having to sell off shoes and dresses and, and original paintings from album covers. And, you know, just, I don't know, I just sort of went, wow. Um, we need a new model and it hasn't arrived yet. It, it's mm. a very strange transition. I'm not quite sure if we're at, we are, uh, if the songwriters are going to find that um, proper payment so that we can actually make great product because everything's coming through uh, inferior sources of sound now. Mm. So um, these great analog sort of things that we love to record in, it all gets pushed through such a inferior sound source these days that it, it defeats the purpose somewhat. Um, but there are still people out there, you know, printing vinyl, which is just so beautiful Absolutely. to see that come. <laughs> Come around, it's just so wonderful. Um, yeah, I mean, crowdfunding, it's it's chic, chic. I'm considering doing another one for this um, strange hybrid reality thing that I'm working on. And, you know, of course, you've got to get it into a nutshell, don't you, before you can mm. present it. So it does hone it. You, It really hones it and you have to be very transparent about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and have it all up front. So... There's no um, record company siphoning off all the cream, so that's one good thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I know I've just, I'm just watching a friend who's um, – she's the writer of a – you know um, Miss Fisher's Murder? Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, they want to make it into a feature film. Okay. Oh, great. And so she just stuck up this crowdfunder last week. And on Kickstarter, and I see her around because she's a Byron woman now, and um, she wanted two hundred fifty thousand to begin the the whole process, you know, of the mm. production. And 
within three days it was half a million. Wow. And I just went, wow. Now that just, you know, what she's done is she's just plugged into the fan base that exists and all these people, they want it so much that they will, I mean, she has great rewards, but they want it yeah. so bad that it it will happen, you know. So, um, I mean, I think they need 11 million, but they've got all the, you know, the, the American sort of um, like what do you call it, licensing and all that, and, and it'll all, that will show it's going to roll of its own accord so then people will feel it's safe That's to get right. on board and, and, and throw yeah. their money at it. So it, it, it can be, if you, if you find the right thing, it can be a wonderful uh, way to get things across the line in these very, very tricky times. Mm. And what I, what I like to think of is if Nick Drake were 18 to 20 years old today, he would love that sort of thing as far as recording his albums from his bedroom, not having to go out and perform necessarily in front of people and creating beautiful music maybe a lot longer than what he did. <laughs> I thought you were going to say if Nick Drake were alive today and he went on The Voice, he'd be oh. just laughed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God, yeah. No, no. But, he, but he'd probably be a big star on YouTube. <laughs> That's right. He would, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I was just thinking, as, as you were saying, I was thinking, oh, God, Bob Dylan would have just been oh. laughed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Can you imagine? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh dear. No one's going to turn around, sorry. Not for that no. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a cool. It's just such a difference. Yes. yes. Oh, thank God. Thank God the 60s and the right. 70s haven't, really. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, um, Gaunt, thank you so much for talking about Nick Drake. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on and I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. We really appreciate it. I have and I'm glad I, um, I'm glad I illuminated his world to you and that you didn't get too scared no. or too, <laughs> no. too, too depressed. No. <laughs> And there we go. I, oh, what a wonderful woman Gian is. Is that is that fair to say? I think it's more than fair I, to say. I think so. That was that was a really fun conversation. Um, that, that was really interesting. I enjoyed that a lot. So it, it's, I I know I said it in the interview. I just love learning about new albums, and Gian certainly turned me on to an artist I had no idea of, and and on an initial listen wasn't overly stimulated, but after two or three listens, totally understood or at least partially understood the appeal uh, of Nick yeah, Drake. Yeah, look, if, if you're not into folk, if you're, if you're into songs that have choruses, then Nick Drake is not going to, you know, appeal to you. Uh, if, you're, if, you're listening to some, if, if you're looking for something a little bit boppy that you can tap your toe to, then I do not recommend it. But, you know, there's, there's some depth here. There's, there's some uh, musicianship it, uh, Absolutely. It, it, re it rewards patience. And I will put, uh, obviously, the, our show notes link to Nick Drake and he's got, still got his own uh, website run, run by his estate. 
Um, yep. But also I'll, I'll link through to Gian's work and, and I mean, she um, does sell most of her stuff on her own website and I'm biased as a fan, but well and truly worth a purchase. Um, she is so much more than her original album as much as I do love that original album. Yeah, if, if, if all you know of her is, is Wait from 1989, do look into the, the rest of it. There's, there's more to her. Absolutely. So, yeah, thank you again, Gian, for, for your time. Um, and I think that'll wrap us up, would you say, Matthew? I think so. And, and look, just, just, just one more thing. If, uh, if anybody is tempted to, um, you know, on the basis of our little conversation that we've had, to look up that uh, Way to Blue, the Songs of Nick Drake compilation, I really, 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 <laughs> really recommend you don't. I, I, I implore you, you have better things to do with yeah. your time. And some but, of the names on I don't want to... Oh, I'm going to call out one name. I mean, I really like Shane Nicholson. i got a lot of time for his work. And it, not that he's done anything wrong. It just it doesn't translate into Nick Drake songs. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, oh, that, 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 that compilation was really hard going for me. It really, really was. Like, like when, when, I, when I say I, I came very close to saying I couldn't do this podcast, I'm not joking. No. <laughs> like, like I, 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 I was thinking, how am I going to tell David? I really yeah. can't do this. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm enough of a Gian fan. I would have just said, "Look, I'm going ahead anyway." You know, <laughs> you miss out then. But no, I'm glad we discovered the original music. Yeah, yeah, so, that's that's so much better. So no, <laughs> thank you for sticking with it, Matthew. <laughs> um, so as always, if you'd like to offer an opinion, suggestion, or as always, we'd love to um, also have yourself um, offered up as a guest. Uh, to review an album you love, um, please don't hesitate to email us at contact at the Music Week Net or even send us a message via our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash music dissectors. Um, I do mention this a lot of episodes, but to keep things spread well among the decades, if you have an album from the 80s, 90s or 2000s, we'd especially love to hear from you. Um, and are we going to avoid the entomology joke this episode, Matthew? Oh, I mentioned it. You, you 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 did mention it. I was I was going to suggest you know that what we're looking for is female entomologists who do not like Kenny G. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If yeah, if if, if if you're a female entomologist <laughs> and you've been thinking, you know, they're after me, I'd really like to tell them of all about how much Kenny G has meant to me. Sorry, sorry, no, we're we're looking for a different one. Unless you're Bruce Springsteen or Paul McCartney. And, and you decide that you want to talk about Kenny G, then we may make an exception. Otherwise, bugger off. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, sus, I suspect Kenny G has not been a great influence on either of those no. gentlemen. And I, I'd actually lose a lot you of never res- know. <laughs> I'd lose a lot of respect for both of them if, they, if it was. Yeah. Um, so you'll find previous episodes of the show on iTunes, and we're also on Stitcher and TuneIn, and all episodes are on our website, uh, www.themusicweek.net. So, yes, thanks very much for listening as always. Um, And thank you as always, Matthew. Thank you, David. Um, And so we'll be back for episode nine in around a month. And we have uh, two guests on the boil, uh, one with an album from the, (laughs) it won't fit the 80s, 90s or 2000s. It is an earlier album. Uh, And then there is one from the 80s that we may talk about as well. So lots on the horizon. Fantastic. So we'll be back, Uh, but in the meantime, find a new album to love. Good night. Good night.